Ontario has been hit hard in recent weeks with growing numbers of COVID-19 cases. In response, Premier Doug Ford has announced a host of new restrictions to try to stem the tide. But will they work? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Toronto Sun columnist Brian Lilly joins me to talk about what's driving the new measures, why Ontario didn't opt for a curfew like Quebec did, and where the province is at in terms of its vaccine rollout. Don't forget, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Brian, Ontario Premier Doug Ford announced new COVID-19 restrictions on Tuesday in response to an increase in cases. And what exactly are the new measures that Ontarians are having to abide by? The most important one is, I guess, how the government can invoke or revoke new measures. And that's the declaration of emergency or in the vernacular, we're in a state of emergency. And the reason for that is it allows the government to be more agile in responding to how COVID-19 is going. We had one of these in the spring. It went from March 17th to, I believe, July 24th. And then they started relying on legislation. That requires more time, time to draft regulations, time to perhaps at times go through the legislature. Invoking the declaration of emergency allows them to go much quicker and with fewer checks and balances. It is time limited, but it is there. So that's the biggest one. And then the second one, major one, which has a lot of people concerned and worried and invoking terms like police state is the stay at home order. We didn't get a curfew. But there is a stay-at-home order, which essentially says, if you are able to work at home, then please work at home. It's not house arrest, as some are claiming. You can leave your house. You need to go to the grocery store or the drugstore, the corner store. You need to go for a walk, take the dog out, get some fresh air. All of these things are allowed. It's not like there's that many places that you can go in Ontario right now. Restaurants are closed, bars are closed, movie theaters are closed. The Leafs have uh, kicked off their season or about to, but you you can't go see it unless you're at home (laughs) and you can watch it on TV. So what they're trying to do is get more people staying at home, less congregating, whether at work or for social activities, and try and reduce human interaction, which is how COVID-19 spreads. What about for schools? Are kids at home or are they back in the class or is it a mix of kids at home and at school? All high schools were supposed to be closed until January 25th and elementary schools were supposed to go back on January 11th. Just before that, the premier announced that no, they wouldn't be doing that, that schools would remain closed for elementary in the southern part of the province until January 25th. And in the northern part, so up around Timmins, Thunder Bay, places like that, where there's far less spread of COVID-19, far less strain on the healthcare system, kids were able to return. So that stays in effect, but in some of the hardest hit zones, so we're talking Toronto, Windsor, Hamilton, Peel, and a couple of others, I think it's to February 11th. I'd have to check my notes on that, but it's second week of February before high school or elementary will be going back. And that's because of a sharp uptick over the holidays in school-aged children, especially younger school-aged children, testing positive for COVID-19. And those numbers have not gone down despite a lockdown that went into effect on December 26th. Ontario has been very successful in keeping COVID numbers down in school and 
all the public health officials. And trust me, we've got 34 medical officers of health across the province because there's one for each region and they don't always agree with each other, but they've all agreed that kids have been safe in school, but that they worried what would happen over Christmas. And all of a sudden you're wrestling with cousin Johnny and breathing COVID into his mouth because you're carrying it. Well, guess what happened? They went from schools being a very safe place to we've got to keep you out or we're worried this will spread more. Is it a matter of just an increase in cases that's pushing these measures or is it that cases are driving hospitalizations and ICU placements and that's what the concern is? That's the real concern. You know, I'm sure like me, you hear from a lot of people who say, well, this is just a case demic and stop testing and then we won't have so many cases and there's no issue. Well, I'm sorry, but there are issues in terms of hospitalizations and stress on the healthcare system. We've got more than 400 COVID patients in Ontario's intensive care units out of a, they call it a census of about 1,750 beds. So roughly 23% of Ontario's available ICU beds across the province taken up with COVID-19. In some areas, it's 40 or 50%. Markham Stouffville Hospital, it's more than 50% of their ICU beds are taken up by COVID patients. Well, that means there are not beds for people having cardiac arrest, kidney failure, you know, you're involved in a a car accident. There are fewer ICU beds for you. Back in the spring, I keep uh, having people send me a news release saying, yeah, but the province added 1,492 ICU beds. (laughs) Did they just disappear? Yeah, they did because we started doing surgeries. The only reason that we had those extra ICU beds is that those were acute care beds for people that were going in for normal medical procedures that were redeployed. We kicked out about 30% of the people in hospitals back in the spring to prepare for COVID-19 because we didn't expect it to hit long-term care the way it did in pretty much every province. Everyone was worried about its hit on the hospital systems. And so almost uniformly across Canada, we got people out of hospital that didn't need to be there and stopped bringing new people in for elective surgery, which is anything that can be scheduled. And that includes organ transplant, believe it or not. So we just said no. And in Ontario, we went from 96% hospital capacity to 69% and then turned around and said, okay, these beds are available for ICU. Mm -hmm. Well, that surge didn't come in the spring. We didn't end up like Northern Italy or New York City where people were fighting over ventilators. We didn't get the nightmare scenario in hospitals. Instead, it did show up in long-term care. So those beds are now being used again for people getting cancer treatment or open heart surgery or knee replacements or any of the other things that we want to keep our hospitals doing. And if COVID cases in the hospitals start taking up too many resources, guess what? Those things get canceled again and there's detrimental health impacts there. One thing that I found notable about the announcement is that despite some speculation, Ontario would follow Quebec's lead and announce like a hard and fast curfew. You can't leave your house between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. They they opted against it. They're still saying, you know, don't leave your house unless you absolutely have to to get food or to get some exercise. Why did they opt against a curfew? And is what they're doing really all that different from a curfew? That last part, you know, is it different? That's going to come down to enforcement. Premier Ford was asked about that. He said he finds curfews too draconian. But then someone in his government turned around and told one of my colleagues at CTV Toronto, we're going to give police discretion in enforcing this. And as I wrote in my column in The Sun, I'm like, well, 
okay, I'm a little worried about this. I'm of two minds. One, I understand it. Police always have discretion. You get pulled over for a speeding ticket, police have the discretion. Do they give you the ticket or do they let you off with a warning? When it comes to charges, they can go for stricter charges, lower charges. They can go for education. Police always have discretion. So I understand that. But then I also remember what it was like in the spring with some overzealous police and bylaw officers. It was a father in Oakville that took his kids to an empty parking lot and they're rollerblading to get some exercise. They ended up with massive fines. Mm -hmm. We can't have a return to that sort of thing. We can't have overzealous policing of it. People do need to just do their part and follow basic public health guidelines. But we need to make sure that they're not being overzealous. Otherwise, yeah, this stay-at-home order will be worse than a curfew. If everyone just uses common sense, and I mean both the public and law enforcement, then it won't be worse. Because if I do want to go out at 10 o'clock at night, I've got to run to the pharmacy or take the dog out, then I'm not being harassed by the police. I will bristle at the first police officer that comes and asks me what I'm doing out any time of the day because I do go out a lot. I don't go see other people, but I do get out in daylight, in fresh air, to walk the dog, to be able to just get outside of these four walls. And we all need to do that or there you know, detrimental mental health impacts of just staying inside constantly. And that's been some of the criticism I've seen is, is you have people who are saying that, look, this is really too harsh, that people need to get outside, they need to be around other people, but failing that, they need to be able to get some exercise and fresh air for their own mental health. And so you can do that. Yeah. And they do have an outdoor gathering limit of five. And there were questions, well, why are you allowing people to gather in groups of five? Well, if you live alone, then what do you do? A friend of mine lives a few blocks from me. She lives completely alone. She is able to work from home and now will be. So if she is told you can only go outside to get exercise, but you can't be near anybody, then she sees absolutely nobody in the course of her day. This would allow her to meet up with some friends or neighbors to go on a walk. They're still saying wear a mask, social distance, follow all other protocols. But you can get together in a small group and, say, go on a hike to stretch the legs to get that breath of fresh air. And what about the people who are saying that these are essentially meaningless, they won't do anything to kind of help it, or Doug Ford has failed Ontarians yet again? I'm seeing some of that criticism online. Where's that coming from? Uh, Other than the Toronto Star? um, (laughs) It's coming from people who invoke the idea that we can and should go for COVID zero. And look, I don't want COVID-19 around any more than anyone else. But the idea that as a province, and these are people that advocate that as a province, we need to go for COVID zero. There's a few problems with that. One, we can't follow New Zealand's model because we don't control our borders. And the federal government has left the airports in four cities open. 64,000 international travelers arrive every week at Pearson Airport in Toronto. I saw the numbers out of the Calgary example, where 1.5% of all the travelers they were testing didn't know they had COVID, didn't have symptoms. Well, that works out to almost a 1,000 people a week bringing COVID into Canada through Pearson Airport, Mm -hmm. if you use the same numbers, the same ratio. So we can't go for COVID zero. My other argument to those people would be, if you think Doug Ford is a disaster, then what do you say about all the other jurisdictions? 
because we border two provinces in four states. Ontario's deaths per 100,000 are currently at 34. Manitobas are at 58. Mm -hmm. Quebec over 100. New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Four of them are over 100. I think Ohio is at about 82 to 85. If that's the disaster, who are you comparing yourselves to? I don't think it's a fair comparison to say that Ontario or Alberta or Quebec should be exactly the same as the Atlantic provinces, which locked down in their own bubble, which haven't had international flights since March, which have much smaller populations, less urban density, less diversity, an older population that's going to stay at home anyway, less dynamic economies. Yeah. So you can't compare the Atlantic bubble. So if you want to compare Ontario to the rest of the country, it's actually doing quite well. Alberta was well below Ontario in deaths per 100,000 and is now almost caught up. In active cases, Ontario is going in the wrong direction, but it still hasn't caught up to Saskatchewan and Alberta, which currently lead the country. So these people are just screaming in the wind. They're often unionized public servants, mostly teachers, or as I said, certain writers at the Toronto Star who don't like the fact that Doug Ford wakes up in the morning and draws breath into his lungs. You mentioned that Ontario compared to other jurisdictions is doing fairly well. And there's other good news in Ontario as well. Earlier on in the pandemic, there was a lot of concern about long-term care centers. Right now, we're seeing vaccination campaigns roll out across the country. And Ontario seems to be on track to hit the mark when it comes to getting LTC patients immunized. Where are they at with that? So as of Monday, we've got four main hot zones, and I mentioned most of them earlier, uh, Toronto, Peel, York, and Windsor-Essex. Two of those are the suburban districts around Toronto, and then Windsor off by the Canada-US border by Detroit. But they're the hardest hit areas with COVID-19. And so Premier Ford challenged General Hillier at the end of December to say, okay, when these Moderna doses that are more easily distributable in long-term care facilities, when they become available... I want you to get in there and I want all the long-term care facilities in the hot zones vaccinated by January 21st. The fact is that Windsor and York region were done by this past Monday. So what was that? The 11th. So 10 days early. I think Toronto will be wrapped up by about the 14th, 15th. And so we'll peel. And then once that happens, they start going into the long-term care in the other areas. And, and by the way, that is just first shot because, of course, there's a three-week delay and they've only been at it two weeks. We should be able to, between new doses coming in and the fact that Ottawa, for example, piloted moving the Pfizer vaccine, which the company has said don't do and you can't do. They worked with Pfizer to come up with a way to move the vaccine from a major research hospital into a long-term care facility. They picked the Pearly and Rito, which is a, a veterans health facility in the nation's capital. It was successful. We start doing these things, then by early February, all of our long-term care facilities can have at least their first shot. Once we get that done, and once we get people over 80 done, those are the most vulnerable. And so regardless of province, those are the people that we need vaccinated first. That's why Every premier, every province needs more vaccines and we need them now. I give full credit to the prime minister for coming out and saying we're getting another 20 million Pfizer doses. That's enough to do another 10 million Canadians. But we need them now, not when he's saying he said when asked April or May, I think. <laughs> that makes me believe that it's the end of May, but we'll hope for early April. 
We need those doses sooner rather than later because these lockdowns continue in one form or another until enough people are vaccinated. We don't know what herd immunity is for COVID-19. It's still too new. Nobody's gotten there yet. Israel will probably get there first because they're vaccinating the quickest. But we're at about 11th now in terms of vaccinations across the globe as a country. But we're about to be passed by Estonia and Germany. Mm-hmm. We need to to keep the numbers up. It's why I think approving new vaccines like AstraZeneca, although there are some questions about its efficacy, is it as high as the companies claimed or is it a bit lower? I still think approving vaccines that are, are being used in other countries like it is in getting the orders before the EU and the US approve it and buy everything up. I think that is one of the routes that we could go as a country to get those vaccine doses sooner. I guess we'll see how the rollout of that goes and how these new restrictions in Ontario play out. Brian, thanks for your time. Thank you, Dave. 10.3 is a production of Post Media. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Brian Lilly. More from him at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.